Let's review real quickly what we're working on this year. This year our theme is living an abundant life. Our key verse is John 10.10 where Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Eternal life is what Jesus came to prepare for us, to give us, uh, to make us available to us. But he also promises, and the rest of the Bible bears this out, that here on earth now, with the Holy Spirit's help, we are supposed to have an abundant, rich, overflowing, full life. With the Holy Spirit's help, he produces love, joy, peace. And that's where we started. We, we understood what an abundant life is. Uh, it's not a matter of things and material possessions. Even people with billions of dollars uh, wish that they had love and joy and peace in their life. Jesus said, in fact, he came that we might have an abundant life. That's his plan for his children. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, the first part of the verse, it's not on the screen, but the first part, he talks about the thief. He says that he came that we might have an abundant life, but the thief just wants to steal and destroy and kill. The thief, old Satan, wants to keep us from having an abundant life, and he's very successful sometimes. He gets us confused, he gets us off track, he gets us sinning, he gets us worrying and full of pride and all those things, and he takes us down to the lowest level. We talked about that the very first Sunday. We said that there are some people that live down at the lowest level. Uh, they don't think life is even worth living. Things are so messed up, they have so many problems, they just, life's no good. Uh, some get a little bit higher, but they still complain about everything. Nothing's good enough. Woe is me. Not an abundant life. And there's another step up we talked about where people get along all right, but they just go through the motions. They get up, they have breakfast, they go to work, they work all day, they go home, they eat, they go to sleep, they get up, they go to the work the next day. Maybe on Sunday they come to church, but they just go through the motions. Just go back and forth, and if you ask them, they, oh, I'm getting by. But there's nothing abundant about it. There is a level that God wants us to live at, where, where things are good, life is good, like the t-shirt says. Uh, marriage is good, kids are good, uh, the job is great. Do, do I mean there's no problems? No, there's problems, but these people that live an abundant life understand that God takes care of problems. They understand that life has a few problems, but his grace is sufficient to handle those problems. These people up at this level are the Philippians 4-4 kind of people. I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's where Paul lived. He had all kinds of problems in his life, but he lived an abundant life. So that's what we're talking about. We know what an abundant harvest is, don't we? We Kansans, we see the fields full of wheat, and we know that it didn't happen just in an overnight miracle. We know that somebody worked at that. We know how that came about. We know that a farmer had some work to do. He had to clear the fields of all the things that were wrong in the fields, he, uh, the bugs and weeds and all that. He had to plant good seeds. He had to fertilize, and then finally he would realize the harvest. Our plan is just like that, to reap an abundant life. We said that first we must clear the field. 
Not weeds and bugs, but other problems. And we listed a few of them, sin and guilt and worry and other things. After we've got those out of the field, then we can plant the right seeds. We can plant the right seeds and fertilize and water and and get ready to do what uh, for God to do his part. And finally, we'll see it growing. We'll begin to harvest an abundant life. Our first series was about clearing the field. Satan sows a lot of tares in our field that will choke out and steal and destroy the abundant life. And we can't cover all of them, but we did cover six of the most common ones. We talked about sin, willful, unrepented of, wickedness in our life that needs to be pulled out, needs to be confessed, needs to be hacked to pieces. We talked about worry. It's a lack of faith. It's disobedience. Jesus said not to worry. We looked at pride. That was Satan's problem, and it's one of his favorite tools because it leads to so many other sins if he can get us prideful in ourselves. Unforgiveness wrecks our relationships, not only with God but with other people. It causes uh, God not to be able to forgive us. It poisons our soul here on earth. Judgmentalism, harsh, fault-finding, critical spirit ruins our relationships and keeps us from having an abundant life. And last week we talked about worldliness. It's a fatal attraction. The world pulls us away from our first love. Satan uses all those tools. He he wants us to be bogged down in those so we can't have an abundant life. So we talked about those, and now our field is clear. Or at least we're going to act like our field is clear. I know that it is a never-finished job. I know Satan keeps sowing problems in our lives, and we must be ever vigilant to to get them out. But with that understanding, with that first series under our belt, we understand that we've got to get those really problems out of our life, uh, such as the ones we see, and because they choke and steal and destroy the abundant life. Let's assume that we've got our field pretty well cleared. Now it's time to plant the seeds. We need to plant some seeds that will lead to the abundant life. What are those seeds? Believe it or not, I had a hard time with this. I worked a, I thought a lot about this because if I ask, what seeds do you plant in your life to grow an abundant life? Maybe the first thing a lot of people would say, well, the Word of God. You got to put the Word in there. You got a daily Bible reading. Man, that'll help you have an abundant life. And... Yes, that's essential. Some people might say prayer. Well, you've got to spend a lot of time in prayer, and the more time you pray and all that, the more your abundant life will grow. Some people would say something as simple as, well, faith. You've got to have faith in your life for an abundant life to grow. And all of those things need to be in our life. But I got to thinking that there's a lot of Christians, a lot of saved people, who read their Bible and pray and have faith, but they're down there on one of those lower steps. They're not living an abundant life. So I got to thinking, we're talking to Christians. We're talking to people who have obeyed Christ, who who are saved, who are going to heaven. 
They're off track somewhere. Satan has them confused about something. And maybe it's not with the, the, the sins that we talked, the six noxious weeds that we talked about that have them off. There's something else missing. So as I thought about it, I thought, okay, let's assume that everybody I'm talking to understands the basics. You know that you ought to read the Bible. You know you ought to pray. You know you got to have faith. You know you have to obey Christ. You, you understand who God is. You understand how great he is. You understand he's sovereign and good and just and all of those things. You understand that you have to obey him. You understand that you have to have discipline in your life. You understand you need to watch and be careful lest you fall. We got all that. So what I want to talk about is more Romans than Acts. Uh, The basics are in Acts. I'm assuming you've got the basics. Romans goes beyond that. We just finished that on Sunday evenings last year. And Romans is different than Acts, isn't it? It doesn't talk about the whole basics a whole lot. Romans 6 that was just read for you talked about that. We're all baptized into Christ. But it talked about how we live. talked about our attitude and how how we live in Christ. So the four seeds that I have chosen to call seeds are really not seeds. What they really are is firm convictions. What they really are is foundational beliefs. What they really are is foundational principles that have to be in our minds, in our hearts, for us to have an abundant life. And what I've called them is, I am, he is, I will then he will. If we get those four things in our hearts and minds, and we're going to work through them one at a time, if we understand who we are and who he is, and what we do and then what he will do in our life, I think those are the seed. If we get that planted, if we get that firmly in here and live like that, then we'll be able to start reaping an abundant harvest. The the prayer and Bible reading and discipline and all of that, I think that's more fertilizer. That's watering, that's fertilizing, that's making it grow. And we'll talk about some of those. But let's talk, cover these four seeds first. It may seem like a strange place to start with I am. But it's very important that we know who we are. If we want to live an abundant life, we have got to know who we are. Let me tell you, make an example here. Just a few moments ago, I was sitting with my granddaughter, Kate. She is three years old. A three-year-old little girl. Let me tell you about another three-year-old little girl. Her name was Athena. Uh, When Athena was three, her mother died. Her mother was the only living heir of Aristotle Onassis. Athena's granddaddy was Aristotle Onassis. So when Athena turned 18 a few years ago, she got $600 million. When she turned 21 two years ago, she became the head of the Anasis Foundation in charge of $2.1 billion. Now my point is it matters who you are. When Kate turns 18... My plan is her granddaddy is going to be able to take her and get a happy meal still. (laughs) Now, does it matter who you are? It matters a whole lot whether you're Kate Tandy or Athena Onassis. 
There's a big difference. And I know we're talking about physical things, but it matters who you are. Uh, There's a legend uh, among the American Indians that a brave one time found an eagle's egg and he placed it in a prairie chicken nest. And the eagle hatched with all the prairie chickens. And he thought he was a prairie chicken. So he did what prairie chickens do. He scratched around in the dirt. He looked for bugs. He looked for uh, seeds to eat. And he clucked and cackled like a prairie chicken does. And he flapped his wings and flew a few feet off the ground. But that's as high as prairie chickens get. So that's all he did. And one day he looked up and saw this magnificent bird flying way up in the air. Just soaring. Just hardly ever flapping his wings. Just on the currents. Just going. And the eagle looked up at that and he asked the prairie chicken next to him. He said, that's a beautiful bird. What is that? And the prairie chicken said, oh, that's an eagle. He's the chief of the birds. But you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to even give it a second thought because you could never be like him. So the eagle never gave it another thought. He died thinking he was a prairie chicken. Now, it matters who you are. It matters who you think you are. And that's why we're starting with this seed, this foundational principle that we have to have in our lives. I am. I believe that there are Christians who are saved, who are going to heaven kind of Christians, then they are scratching around in the dirt looking for bugs instead of soaring up where they ought to be. If we want to live an abundant life, we have to understand who we are. So today let's look at seed number one. I am a child of the king. I am a child of the king. We got to plant that. We got to get that in there, folks. We got to understand that. And then we got to understand the other three things so we can reap an abundant life. Ephesians chapter one. I put the verses on your handout for you. Beginning in verse three. Let's read them all and then we'll go through them briefly. Paul said, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. What a passage. What an amazing passage where Paul celebrates who we are. And in that passage, Paul says, first of all, Christian, a Christian is blessed. See that? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Note, that's in the heavenly realms. The heavenlies, the heavenly realm, that's the spiritual world. In the spiritual world, he has blessed us. The root of all blessings is spiritual. It's in the spiritual realm. Now, spiritual blessings are related to physical blessings, but he has blessed us in the spiritual realm. Physical blessings, material things, financial things, emotional things, mental things, those are all related to spiritual blessings. 
The Bible tells us every good gift is from where? From God. And Paul tells us here that we have been blessed with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. That's who a child of the king is. A child of the king has been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Secondly, he says a Christian is chosen. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. Do you understand what that means? A child of the king is chosen. Ken Kirsten is an author who tells about this little ritual that he does with his seven-year-old son, Kyle. Doesn't do it every night, but every so often, he says, at bedtime when he's tucking Kyle into bed, he tells him this. He says, Kyle, I want you to picture a long line of little boys, a long, long line of little boys. And you're standing in that line. You're one of them. And there's some tall boys and there's some short boys. And there's boys with blonde hair and boys with brown hair. And there's boys that are good at music and boys that are good at sports. And there are boys with nice clothes and boys with big smiles. And there's boys that are smart and some that aren't as smart. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these boys. And you're in line with them. Now, here's the thing, Kyle. I get to pick any one of those boys to be my son. I wonder which one I should choose. I could choose the one who is short or one who's tall. I could choose one down here or one over there. Which one would I choose to be my son? Mr. Kirsten says, although we've done it 10 times and 10 times, 10 times, Kyle always looks at me like, I hope you pick me. And I play it up for a long time. And then finally, he asks as if he's never heard the answer, which one would you choose, Dad? And Mr. Kirsten says, I always say, Kyle, I choose you. We're chosen, folks. Put aside all your problems with Calvin's misunderstandings. You can sign up for a theology class if you want to argue about how we get chosen. But Paul says one thing really cool about being a child of the king is that we are chosen. You can take credit for your salvation if you want to and live a miserable life, but, or you can admit that you are saved because God wanted you. God chose you. A child of the king is blessed. A child of the child of the king is chosen. Thirdly, Paul says a child of the king is adopted. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. See, now that confuses us a little bit because today when we adopt someone, we adopt little children, young children, almost always. Uh, preferably a baby is what people want to adopt. But when Paul wrote this, people adopted adults. In fact, the word he uses here is more inclined toward that. In the Roman world, if a man had great wealth and he got to the end of his life and he didn't have a son to carry on, he would adopt one. 
And that's the word Paul uses here. He would adopt an adult. He would pick someone. He would select someone that he thought was worthy of carrying on his name. Thought some, would adopt someone that could carry on and manage his fortune and do all of that. And there was an elaborate ceremony to it when they adopted back in Roman days. Part of it was taking off all the old clothing. You took off all the old clothes and got rid of them. And you put on new clothes. That was part of the ceremony. Another part of the ceremony was to signify that the old life, who you used to be, was wiped out. And now you were considered, not only legally, but that's the way people thought of it, you were a blood relative now. It was like you'd always been this rich man's son. That's what adoption was that Paul's talking about here. Do you you understand that nobody ever adopted a child that they didn't want? Doesn't happen, does it? Sometimes people give birth to a child that they don't really want. That happens. But nobody ever adopts a child that they didn't want. Once again, you can take credit for your salvation if you want to and live your life like that. Or you can understand that you're chosen, that you're adopted, that you're saved because God wanted you. Fourthly, Paul says a Christian, a child of the king, is given grace. He goes on and says we're given grace in Christ, in the one he loves. To the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We've been given grace. (laughs) A child of the king doesn't have to struggle. A child of the king does not have to, to struggle to prove ourselves. We've been given grace. Grace is unmerited favor. The most famous definition of it, unmerited. And then he says we've been given grace, freely given grace. There's only one word for that, isn't there? (laughs) That's why we sing it so often. That's amazing. If you think that a child of the king has been given grace freely, not because of what we've done, there's no way we can boast about it, Paul says. We've just been given grace grace. Lastly, Paul says a Christian is redeemed and forgiven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Let's understand this one now. This is important to think about the child of the king. We may, I think, no, let me change that. We do spend too much time fretting about our condition. Our condition as Christians. Let me illustrate. Are you saved? Yes, the Christian should say. Are you sin-free? Well, no. Do you know your Bible as much as you'd like to? Well, no. Are you spiritually as mature as you'd like to be? Well, no. Do you do as many good deeds as, you know, you ought to? Well, no. See, we can think about all that. We can fret about that condition that, no, we're not where we ought to be. We're not as good as we're going to be tomorrow, hopefully. 
And we can spend a lot of time fretting about that condition, but I think if we're going to have an abundant life, it's time that we quit worrying about our condition and started thinking about our position. Our position is that we are redeemed and forgiven. Condition is important. I mean, we need to work on that. And we've done that for the last few years. We've talked about 24-7 Christianity and all sorts of things where we talk about our condition and growing up in Christ and all that. But I've come to the conclusion nothing changes until we realize our position. If we try to work on it all by ourselves and get better and do more of this and work harder at this, we don't get any better because we don't understand our position. Paul said a Christian is redeemed and forgiven in addition to being blessed and chosen and adopted. Redeemed and forgiven. Redeemed means he paid our ransom. He paid for it. That's what we spent the time at the table this morning, trying to remember what he did for us even though we didn't deserve it, unmerited favor. He redeemed us, he paid our ransom, and he forgave us. And that word is not a one-time thing. doesn't mean he forgave us one time a long time ago. It means he keeps on forgiving us. Keeps on forgiving us. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 1. This is essential to having an abundant life. In fact, that's the way John starts in verse 4 of 1 John. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. You read this book so you'll understand how your joy can be complete. That's an abundant life, folks. And what's the first thing he tells them? He says, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth's not in you. You sin. Your condition is not where it ought to be. Then he says, but if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, continually purifies us, the word says, from all sin. We're not just forgiven one day. We are forgiven every day. He keeps taking care of our sin. Did you sin this week sometime? Yes, then the blood of Jesus took care of it. He just wiped it out. That's because you're a child of the king. Did your child mess up this week? Well, probably. Did you forgive them? Well, you will someday. You're not God, you know. God forgives us when we do it because it's been paid for. The ransom's been paid. Look at all that that Paul says there in Ephesians. This seed must be planted well. We've got to get this one in there. I am a child of the king. Now let me make sure you understand. There's a big difference between knowing you're a child of the king. There's a big difference between even understanding that you're a child of the king. And living like you're a child of the king. Different things. Different things. Sometimes I wonder when they told little Athena who she was. I don't know how old she was when they broke the news to her or how she found out. But at some point, she figured out who she was. <laughs> you mean my granddaddy was a Aristotle Onassis and I get $2.1 billion? When she figured that out, let me ask, do you think that changed the way she lived? 
the day she figured that out? Or do you think she said, well, no, I got to keep up with the paper route, you know, got to keep making some money. I think it changed the way she lived. Once she understood it and believed it, I think she probably started to live like it. I'm not saying, oh, that's a good thing to know you've got $2 billion. She may have done bad things. I don't know that, but I bet it changed the way she lived. If we understand we're the child of the king, I think it ought to change the way we live. Now, nothing I've told you this morning is new. You've read Ephesians before. We've studied it. You know that Christians are blessed. You know they're chosen. You know they're adopted. You know all of that. What I want you to do, what I want you to understand is, if you're going to reap an abundant life, then you've got to act as if you are a child of the king. You got to act like it. You got to live like it. I told you before, one time when I was in the business world, we started a new process of something, and it was pretty radically different. And the first team that we chose to use this process, we taught them the process. They learned it. They had it in their head. We, we went over it and over it where they understood, in theory, how it was supposed to work. But they couldn't do it. They were so bogged out in the old way of doing things that they just kept going back. Yeah, but. And finally one day, the consultant that we had hired to help us with this said, I got an idea. We've got to name this team. He said, let's call it the act as if team. Let's just call it the act as if team. And every time you come to one of those spots where you want to try to do things the old way, you just act as if this is going to work. You act as if this really will produce the results that I'm telling you it'll produce. And they began to act as if it would work. Guess what? It did work. If we, need, if we begin to act as if we are children of the king, I think it'll change the way we act. Change the way we live. See, there's a difference between when I ask you, well, who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I was baptized. Okay, that's good. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the Lord's church. Well, that's good. Uh, I'm a member at Northside. Well, that's good. But there's a difference between that and being able to say and believe and understand and act as if I am a child of the king. That's different. We've got to plant that one. We've got to plant it well. This is not a positive thinking exercise. This is not a deal where you go around and just talk yourself into doing something. It's reminding yourself of the truth. You may have to do it every day. You may have to read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 8 every morning before you take off. You may be able to shorten that. You may be able to just put the words on your mirror. While you're shaving or combing your hair, you can look there and say, I am blessed. I am chosen. I'm adopted. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Just just get it in there where you you focus on it. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I'm not giving you a specific way. Just do it. Sometimes a song will help. I've got a song, one of my favorite songs reminds me of this. I play it at least every Sunday morning and sometimes other days of the week too. And I play it loud because it tells me what I've been talking about here. And it says it in a way that makes me remember who I am. Here are the words. If I could sing, I'd sing it to you, but let me read it to you. 
The song says, so many years I cried because my soul denied that he would save a wretch like me. So full of gloom and dread that I hung my head, I wouldn't claim the victory. Then one day his love, like a winged dove, settled down upon my life. And I realized he had authorized my ticket to paradise. Then the chorus goes, on the authority of his holy word, I rise up and take my stand. I'm a blood-bought child of the living God who is the great I am. I'm an heir to all that heaven holds. And no principality can ever take away my royal crown given on his authority. I play the chorus real loud. That's good stuff. That's what we've been talking about here. When you come to that realization, second verse says, it's a mystery why he came to me, why he would choose me for his own, why he pulled me out of the lake of doubt and set me right beside his throne, why he guaranteed with his seal decreed my inheritance by right. I'm his favored child, and that makes me smile. I'm the center of his delight. On the authority of the whole living word, I rise up and take my stand. I'm a blood-bought child of the living God who is the great I am. I'm an heir to all that heaven holds and no principality can ever take away my royal crown given on his authority. That seed, that seed, that conviction, that belief, that principle must be planted well. You combine that one with the next three that we're going to look at, it'll prepare us to reap an abundant harvest of an abundant life. Remember what Jesus came for. He said, I came that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. That's his plan for you. Holy Spirit is ready to help. We just have to do our part. God's ready to pour out the blessings. And we know, we're going to see it every week, we know that hearing these truths is not enough. We know that we have to hear them, we have to understand them, we have to believe them, but we also got to put them into practice. This week, I challenge you to live like you're a child of the king. Next week, we're going to continue to plant, I am a child of the king. Next is he is. We've got to find out who he is, get that planted in there, understand how that works. It's essential that we know that truth and the other truths that we're going to look at. If you have not put your life in the hands of the great Redeemer, who we're going to sing about now in an invitation song, we want to offer you the opportunity to do that this morning. If you need to put him on in baptism, begin to live that abundant life as we work together to do that, we invite you to come. If you have some other need, won't you come when we stand and sing?